Hey, this is Ash Cash with another episode of the Ash Cash Show. So I know we've been on a slight hiatus. Uh, and then actually this interview, I wasn't in the building, but my guy, Kevin Matthews and Tashima Jones held me down as they spoke to personal finance expert Stephanie O'Connell. All right, we back though. The Ash Cash Show. Tune in. Let's go. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. I ain't talking about rich, I'm talking about wet, wet, wet. Money ain't a thing. Money ain't a thing. Money in the bank. Money in the bank. We can talk, but money talk, so talk about money. Ash cash show, 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 ash cash show. Now tuned in to the Ash Cash Show, your number one source for financial motivation. Get your mind and your money right. Hey, 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 Tashima Jones here. Super excited. Welcome back to the Ash Cash Show on WHCR 90.3 FM, New York, the voice of Harlem. We are super duper excited to be back after our hiatus. Um, Ash is actually out, but we have our homeboy, Mr. Kevin Matthews, filling in for, for him. What's up, Kev? Hey, what's up? I'm filling in for AshCast. I'm excited to be here. How are you? We are excited to have you here. So we're going to just jump right in to um, our special guests. As we always do, we read their bios. Mm -hmm. Um, So take it away. Yeah, I got got a stretch for this one. All right. All right. <laughs> my, uh, my radio voice. <laughs> Stephanie O'Connell is a nationally recognized millennial money expert who has helped thousands of young professionals get more from their money so they can achieve their goals. She's an author of the book, The Broke and Beautiful Life. She has appeared on CBS News, Fox and Friends, ABC World, and the Dr. Oz Show. Okay. Her work has been seen <laughs> in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Oprah Magazine, Success Magazine, Glamour, and various other print and digital media outlets. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Anytime someone reads your bio, doesn't it make you feel like... I'm like, who is that? I know. We get that a lot. We get that a lot. And as we always do on the Ashcast show, we like to ask our guests, who are you in your own words? Oh, that's such a good question (laughs) and so hard to answer. But I am Stephanie O'Connell. I'm a New Yorker. I'm so happy to be here right near my apartment. Um, I I lived in New York for so long. And I started writing about personal finance because it's just part of your life that touches every other part of your life, Mm -hmm. especially in a city like New York, where it's tough. It's really really, really tough. And so I am a personal finance author for those people who are really trying to live those big city dreams on maybe a small budget, maybe a big budget, but either way is a challenge for figuring out how to optimize it for living that big dream city life. Definitely. And that's amazing. You said that one area that touches every other area. And I think sometimes we don't 
we don't accept that reality. We don't yeah. se- accept that truth. Yeah, we, we try to forget that, you know, money, like, we don't need it. But you, they say you don't need it, but you can't live without it. Right. So it goes, <laughs> it goes both ways, especially in New York. You do not walk out your house with at least spending the 275 for a Metro card. Oh, my god, Bare minimum. <laughs> so you're always spending something in New York City, period. So, yeah, it, it touches every single area. Definitely. What inspired you to actually want to share um, just wealth of information um, on money with on the money. world. <laughs> well, uh, New York obviously mm-hmm. is my probably my greatest inspiration of them all. But for me, what was really the challenge was I never had a typical nine to five job, and so without something like a 401k plan or health insurance or something where you're even just getting paid a certain amount on a regular basis, I felt like half of all financial advice didn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. And the fact was like everybody I knew was in the same situation. And I feel like now in today's world where there is a lot of like this gig economy work, or even if you have really high paying contract work, if you don't get a regular paycheck, it's really hard to make make a financial plan. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to talk through all of those anxieties and fears and things that I was feeling as someone who felt like they they couldn't apply so much of that traditional advice to their own life and find out ways to make it work for me and for others in similar situations. Yeah. Yeah. So going on the the non-traditional advice, because that's you get a nine to five, you put an IRA and you just kind of do that thing. Yeah. But Talk a little bit more about your background because you, I think you did babysitting, you did acting, you did a bunch of different things. A lot of things. Yeah. So tell us a little more about that and how you figured out with an irregular income how to how to make it work. Yeah. So when I first got out of school, I was pursuing acting full time, mm-hmm. not money at all. Total one eighty degree shift from where I am now, mm-hmm. and. It was so wonderful in a lot of ways because I would go on these tours and I would go see the world and I would get paid to perform and it was like a dream come true. And then I'd be coming home and coming back and starting at at zero. Mm -hmm. And so I would get these babysitting gigs and I would personal assist and I was... um, working in restaurants and I was kind of just trying to piecemeal everything together Mm -hmm. but because there was no consistency it was like money was this constant stressor Mm -hmm. and I felt like I had zero sense of control. Mm -hmm. And so I had to take a minute to figure out, wait a second, I know I'm living kind of this artistic, crazy income life. Mm -hmm. What aspect of this can I control? And what I found was like, I can control certain habits. I might not be able to control certain ways of my income coming in, Mm -hmm. but I can control if I'm writing down what I'm spending, Mm -hmm. if I'm thinking about what I'm buying before I buy it, if I am finding ways to save on things like my rent. So I used to sublet my apartment and then just um, either not live there or crash with other people or I would rent out uh, my room and then sleep on the couch. And I was like, wow, there are just so many ways I can hack this, right? (laughs) Literally taking notes. So I started, once I started feeling like, okay, I can hack this. I can find places of control. I started getting a handle on money in general. And I just had to find those first initial wins of I can choose to spend here or not choose to spend there. I can choose to try to map out a money plan. And even if it fails because my income didn't 
reach what I thought it was going to reach. At least I had a plan. I was working to stick to it. And I don't have to give up because it didn't work out exactly mm-hmm. as planned. But I can continue to try to refine and, f- and make up for it the next month. Mm-hmm. And what I really found was that while I couldn't control my income, I did learn to control my cost of living. Mm-hmm. And being able to start from that and know exactly how much I needed every single month at a minimum to survive Mm -hmm. helped me start creating a benchmark for exactly how much money I need to be bringing in minimum every month. And from there, it was much easier to plan. Yeah. I I think that's the unique thing about New York, that it, it teaches you, forces you really to hustle budget and just figure a way to, to make it through. Some make it better than others, but it forces you to pick up a side hustle, pick up a second job, figure out how to make your business plan work. If you can't tell by my accent, I'm not initially from here. <laughs> so I, I came, I'm originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street, and moved to Dallas for a bit and then came here. And it was a, I was comfortable in Dallas. I was relaxed. I was doing my business thing. I wasn't, didn't have to hustle. I came to New York. It was a different story. <laughs> Definitely. Period. And something really, really important that you said was con- finding what you can control. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes when it comes to our finances, if we don't have a certain amount, we feel like we do not have any control. Um, So that's definitely something I'm going to start applying to my life. Like, okay, what is it that I can control? And and like you said, a lot of people feel, well, I don't have enough anyway, so how do I really start? And I think that's the perfect space to start in, looking at what you can control and then building up to Mm -hmm. that point where you feel more comfortable and then you're able to do uh, the things that you like doing versus the things that you have to do. (laughs) Right, right. And it's, again, those habits can start small and they Mm kind of spiral from there, um, hopefully in a positive way. But I wanted to shift a little bit because at this point in time, it's, it's the holidays. So we have certain holiday habits that we may get into that affect spending and everything else. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, what habits can people start to look at or change or really just pay attention to before it's too late? So I think my biggest holiday spending tip is to let your budget dictate what you buy and how much you spend on gifts and not the other way around. Mm. So it's really easy to walk into a store or see messages coming into your inbox about sales. It's It already happened on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Let's not pretend that's not going to continue for the next three weeks. It's right. going to be nonstop until the new year. It sounds like an epidemic. <laughs> well, Prepare kind of, yourself. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, no joke. I have filled at least four online shopping carts. And and somehow managed to walk away from them. But it's hard when you're getting those messages constantly on your phone and your inbox and your social media feed. And they're really good at doing that. They're so good. Really good at doing that. It's all their fault. (laughs) In New York, you know what I always say about New York is like, New York is like walking through a mall 100% of the time because you have to walk by stores to go Mm -hmm. to work, to go to the subway, to go to the grocery store. So all those signs that say, oh, come in and have our Christmas sales, our gift specials, you know, it's everywhere. So it's in your inbox. It's when you're um, just kind of walking around. And so those messages are out there and it's really easy to just kind of get sucked into the momentum. And it can be fun, right? Mm -hmm. It's joyful. It's exciting to want to give back. It's a sentiment uh, of giving back to others. And that's something that is exciting and and a happy feeling. But what we don't want is for that excitement and that momentum to turn into 
something that creates resentment and pressure in January when you're dealing with holiday debt. So the way we can avoid holiday debt is to make it action plan right now, Mm -hmm. right now, before we walk into the store and spend all the money just based on how much things cost. Let's see how much money we have, the amount of people we need to buy gifts for, and then start budgeting Mm -hmm. a very clear action plan for how we intend to spend. Now, the key here with the action plan is that we need to consider everything. So we generally think, okay, well, I have, you know, my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my kids, or Mm -hmm. my brother and sister. But what about, do you have to travel for the holidays? I was going to ask you that. Right? Do you have an office gift exchange or a potluck or a secret Santa? You know, all those other extra costs. Are you decorating? Are you buying an ugly sweater for an ugly sweater party. I don't know, you know. (laughs) People do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So you want to factor in all of those costs and and the gifts Mm -hmm. and then say, okay, so within what I have available to spend, how am I going to make this work? Yeah. I think that was an interesting point. You kind of walked into the the next thing I wanted to talk about because when your family changes, so too could your holiday plans. For Mm -hmm. example, I never had to travel for the holidays. Now that I'm married, I have to go Thanksgiving one spot, Christmas another spot, New Year's another spot. And now we have a baby. I'm I've been open. I'm buying him a box. He is he can't walk, he can't talk. <laughs> a box is perfect for kids. Just a, like a box. <laughs> just a regular box. Like is a it cardboard be- box. No, like, like literally? Yes. Is, are you going to put things in it? No. Or just a box? No. Kids love boxes. They do. This is true. They really do, though. This is really... That's really great. I need to talk to you <laughs> off air about some some yeah, gifts I mean, like that not, for 11-year-olds. Yeah, like he's, <laughs> he's not. It's just a box. I'm not spending a whole bunch. But on top of that, though, now, and this is, I've, we just celebrated our third anniversary. So now I've it hit me the first Christmas that we got married right after Thanksgiving. The first Christmas hit me very quickly. And I realized, like, oh, I have, like, in-laws now that I need to plan for. And it's a lot of them. Um, so, yeah, you have to consider everything out there and do it regularly because life can change. And there can be more people that pop up. you are got a new niece, nephew that you didn't think about before. So, yeah, I this totally agree with that. True. I wanted to know how do you not spend emotionally mm-hmm. in this season. Um, especially when oftentimes you may be expected to purchase someone something or you feel like, well, they bought me something or they bought my child something, so I have to buy them something. Is there a have to? And how do you deal with it emotionally? I know this is not a popular sentiment, but I would consider holiday gift spending 100% discretionary, optional. meaning there is n- optional, <laughs> right? Optional. It is no have to involved. And when we start feeling that pressure, whether it's around the holidays, this is true about weddings too. This mm-hmm. is true about christenings and baby showers, all of those things where there is, I completely understand there is a lot of social pressure. I think it's really valuable to come back to what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And it's about... Uh, expressing our love. It's about spending time with people Mm -hmm. we love. It's about giving gratitude and it's about giving back. And giving back doesn't always have to mean some value dollar amount. It can mean our presence as a present. It can mean um, maybe we participate in an act of service together Mm -hmm. as a family rather than going in on the gift exchange. Maybe instead of, you know, making sure we buy 
every single person in every single family, your in-laws, your whoever, second cousins, Mm -hmm. sister's wife, I don't know. You know, instead of kind of getting caught up in that hypermaniacal need to feel like you have to check all the boxes, you can just take a minute to think about, you know, what is the best way that I can really reconnect with the people in my life? And really what it might be is sending everybody a handwritten card about Mm -hmm. something where they have personally affected you or helped you or showing that you appreciate them. Because I know that when I get a card like that in the mail, my goodness, how wonderful Mm -hmm. is that as a gift. And I think it's really tough when you think, oh, well, this person got me this. But if we're playing in the comparison game, we're going to get trapped because the reality is our means are all different. Yeah. And it's it's way different. (laughs) Everyone has a different starting point, different salary, different living situation. You know, what we pay in rent in New York is two or three apartments elsewhere. Or so, just a whole house. Yeah. <laughs> or just, no way or just a down payment, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. mortgage. That's it. Uh, New York. <laughs> if you were just tuning in, thank you so much for listening. This is the Ash Cash Show um, with Ash Cash and Sashima Jones. Filling in for Ash Cash is Mr. Kevin Matthews. Um, and we are speaking with Stephanie O'Connell. Um, about money, about the holiday season, about all things concerning your wallet. Um, going back to when you did not have a regular income, how did you go from there to being in the New York Times, in the Oprah magazine, in success and all that I, good I re- stuff? And I really want to know about the Dr. Oz show. Because right? that, one, that one stood out like, what? <laughs> you know, the Dr. Oz show was one of my first TV things ever. What? Yeah, I, Not to go on too much of a tangent, but, when, <laughs> you know, I... People talk about growing business and how, how do you how do you grow? People think you need to go in order. Mm-hmm. And I remember trying to pitch New York One and go on local TV. I couldn't get anything. But somehow I got a call from the Dr. Oz show because they saw something I wrote about couponing in New York City. Wow. And I was like, you know, sometimes the big thing comes in first. Like Wall Street Journal was one of the first uh, newspaper pieces I ever got. Wow. Anyway, backtracking to, you know, for how did I go from kind of where I didn't have a consistent income and I was really just kind of struggling um, just to make ends meet, to be mm-hmm. honest, to, to now where, honestly, I still don't have a consistent income, uh, but I make a lot more money, so it's it's much more easy. But, but you make a lot more money. <laughs> like, like, no, you know. No, it's been completely <laughs> life-changing. I, yeah. like, I, I, I think sometimes people like to dismiss how important making a certain income is. Um, you and can only cut but so much. Exactly. Like rent is right. still going to be there. Can't, <laughs> but you can't frugal your way to rich, yeah. right? Mm. It, at some point, it just helps so much when there's more income coming in. And for me, that pivot really happened um, as I started sharing my own experience um, cutting back and, mm. and renting out my bedroom while I slept on my couch and kind of sharing those hacks. I realized there was an eager audience out there of people who were in a similar situation. And once I saw that there was a need for more of this kind of speaking about kind of the things you speak about here, um, to, to speak to people in specific situations and what my, what my specific situation was an inconsistent income as a millennial who graduated in 2008 
recession central trying to make ends meet, you know, I realized that, wow, there's huge opportunity here for growth. And I want to be part of that, not just for myself, but also to serve this audience of people because we're in it together. You know, you're here talking about this and it's so wonderful. And the fact is, I want to be part of all of these voices. And I think together we can not only find a lot of opportunity for growth for ourselves, but we can also find a lot of opportunity to serve others. And so that's kind of where I started uh, going down that road and starting my own business and writing about money and realizing I could actually get paid to write about money. Initially, I started writing for other blogs. I started writing for startups. I started writing for, for corporations. And then that slowly scaled over time into when my book came out. And then I started speaking about money and so on and so forth. And, you know, it surprises me just as much as it surprises, I think, anybody mm-hmm. when you read my bio. Again, it's like, who is that person? That can't be me. This mm-hmm. can't be my life. It's just, it's so wild. But I'm so grateful. You, you brought up a point about 2008. And yeah. as a financial advisor, a lot of people are like, when's the next one? Like, what do I do? But I wanted to know... How much of that year, 2008, graduating college at that point in time, how much of that affected you and kind of made you where you are now? Like mm. if, if that had not happened, would you have just gotten a regular job and none of this would have happened? Or did that, that episode really set you on the path that you're on now? You know, for me personally, because I was initially trying to pursue a career in the arts, mm-hmm. I expected the worst. Mm. Uh, but when I graduated college, I already had a job. I oh. was very, very lucky. I was I was booked on a show. Uh-huh. Um, it was a tour of the musical Cinderella, oh. and it was in Asia. And I got on a plane like two weeks after graduation to the Philippines, and I was supposed to be on an open-ended, year-long-plus contract. And it was about halfway through that contract, producers flew out and said, oh, by the way, there's been a major recession, and we're going to send you a home. They flew out for that? <laughs> they did fly out for that. The producers, they have all the money, right? So I kind of had my my oh mm, moment a little bit delayed. And the thing that really hit home for me was the fact that I wasn't alone in my struggle mm-hmm. to find a job. Everyone I knew was in people with quote unquote safe jobs, mm-hmm. degrees, was in the same position. Right. And I thought, wow, this is wild. None of my friends who I graduated, graduated with could find a job. Mm-hmm. And even a couple of years ago, when my brother graduated college, he, str- he struggled for a year to find a job. And I think, you know, obviously we're in a, in a comparatively great economy now. Unemployment mm-hmm. is extremely low. But what I have found is that there is kind of still this disconnect for when you're just getting out of school, getting that first job is still such a challenge. And I think that for us, that 2008 moment was a turning point. But I don't think that trauma of coming out of college and trying to get that first gig has really gone away. That is that is true. There are a lot of studies that show that people who went into, let's say, the restaurant business and became a waiter mm-hmm. for a year or two years, and you have an economics degree or a tech degree or whatever it is, when you're trying to go back into the market, they look at your resume and say, well, you have no relevant experience. You haven't been doing this for the last yeah. three years. We can't hire you. Yeah. And you, you're stuck on a completely different track. And that's pretty much it. Either that or go back and take on extra debt to go to grad school or something like that. But it's interesting because 
the economic events around what what you were doing, where you were, when you were born, can affect everything about your your outlook. Absolutely. And I think that for me, it was in addition to seeing everybody around me, I think it created kind of a heightened awareness and maybe a permission structure to actually talk about the money conversation Mm -hmm. in a way that maybe wasn't that was even more taboo before. Yeah. Right. Because all of a sudden everybody was like recession special. And I was like, oh, we can talk about this. We can talk Mm -hmm. about money. Mm -hmm. I can say I can't afford it. And I know that's still sometimes a difficult conversation to have, but it was one I became really comfortable with for many, many years, you know, Mm -hmm. for after, after school. And then from there, it gave me an opportunity to learn about personal finance and money kind of on a deeper level than just, oh, this is tough and, oh, I don't have enough. I saw that there was a discussion happening around money that extended to what you said before beyond a budget, but to things like saving and investing and wealth. Mm -hmm. And that was really an incentive for me to learn and kind of have my own second college on my own terms Uh to be like, I want in on this. Because at that point, you know, I I picked up probably my first investing book in 2010 and the timing couldn't have been better because, (laughs) you know, my, my my investment portfolio has just been on the up and up and up until very recently. So <laughs> it's been great. No, I think was it yeah, October was rough for, for everyone. But we'll skip Good that one stuff. Good <laughs> stuff. Okay, this is the Ash Cash Show on WHCR 90.3 FM, New York, the voice of Harlem. We're gonna take a quick break and we will be back. You are now tuned in to the Ash Cash Show. Your number one source for financial motivation. Get your mind and your money right. We are back. The Ash Cash Show on WHCR 90.3 FM, New York, the voice of Harlem. My name is Tashima Jones. Ash Cash isn't with us today, but filling in for him is Mr. Kevin Matthews. We're having an amazing conversation with our special guest, Stephanie O'Connell. And we were talking about some weddings and some marriage things and some engagement rings and all that good stuff. So how do you handle that around the holidays? From January 1, swipe my card for stuff, pay it off the minute it's charged, zero balance, zero interest, and the cash back, the 1.5% or whatever it is, I save it all year long and just blow it all on gifts in November and December. So this year, I just tweeted out like yesterday, I had like $509 and some change. That's and just really, really free great. Free money, no debt, and I'm just like, hey... Gifts for everybody <laughs> for as long as, you know, $500 ago. Oh, that's so good. I usually tell people, oh, try to save like 1% or 2% of each paycheck throughout the year. But yeah. you're right. If you get 1% to 2% on a cashback <laughs> card, that's exactly the right. same thing. And you don't even have to save it. It just happens yeah, just for there. you. Yeah. I love that. So that's that's how I manage it. And I don't think a lot of us plan that far in advance. Right, right. Because normally, I think especially for me, you know, I don't like calling myself a single mom, but for lack of a better term, I'm a single mom. So it's like I'm thinking about school, then summer. So it's mine is like in seasons. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking January 1 about December 25th, mm-hmm. you know? So just keeping that concept and then applying that to other things like school, mm-hmm. planning enough in advance where it's not a rush or or a stressor in your life is that's I'm yeah, taking notes. And also- I was going to say, can we speak more about discipline? Because I'm pretty sure from January 1st all the way up until November, December, you see those points stacking up. So mm-hmm. um, for you, it would take a lot of discipline for you to, you know, see the points stacking up. And 
opt not to spend it, opt to wait till November and December. So can you just go into a little more detail about there, know, the discipline? There's there's a lot of discipline into it. And that's why anytime I talk about it or tweet about it, it's always an asterisk because I specifically said I paid the card off every single time and I didn't pay any interest. You don't want to get into the credit card game of spending just to get points or spending just to have the money because they design it in a way in which you're not necessarily supposed to win. So the discipline for me is anytime I swipe, I make sure I have the money, clearly, I might as well get paid for it. Mm-hmm. So swipe, pay, and just keep it there. The other thing I do is I don't necessarily check it all the time. Mm-hmm. I may check it once a quarter or at the mm-hmm. end of the month or something like that. Because if I am staring at it, I'm probably going Temptation. to need it. Yeah, but then the other, again, the other part of paying it off is if I'm paying it off every month or I'm paying it off the minute I pay it, I mean, I wouldn't really need the money anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's a part of it, too. But you have to be very disciplined with it. Going back to the control mm-hmm. and, and what you yeah. have. Again, I f- there's this, like, thing where we really allow money to control us mm-hmm. versus really understanding the power that we have um, over our finances. So that's good stuff. Good, good stuff. So going back to this whole wedding situation and all these other uh, you know, activities that are going on um, in our lives. Talk to us a little bit about some projects that you're working on. Yeah, well, my biggest project, I guess, for 2019 is I'm getting married. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I, I was talking in the break with Kevin because uh, I got engaged in August and I was sharing with him and all my my uh, fellow personal finance folks and my followers on social media that I decided to give back my engagement ring. Wow. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like you gave so, it back to the person who kind of gave it to you? Well, I accepted the proposal. Let okay. me be clear. I am getting married, okay? So I said, yes, I'll get married to you. But I don't know about this. Like, I don't, I don't really need an engagement ring. And that was... Kind You're going to cause a lot of issues with a I lot know, of women, I but I love it. Go but ahead. You know what? She's I, not going to cause any issues with the men. <laughs> women, women. They were like, girl, don't start this trend. I know, I know. And, and it's not meant to be a trend so much of like not having a ring. Mm-hmm. It's more of a trend about like figuring out what matters to you. That's good. Right? And so for me, I don't really wear jewelry. Okay. But I love to travel. And so for me, when I saw the ring, I was like, what What am I going to do with this? First of all, I'm going to damage it. I'm going to lose it. I'm super clumsy. I'm going to have anxiety if I wear this thing. And I know it's expensive. It's probably the most expensive things that I've ever touched. So mm. I, I, like, I other than my car, it's, yeah, it might be more expensive than my car because my car is really old and messed up. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, I can do, we can do rather so much more with this money. And I don't really value jewelry, so why don't we return the ring? I, I had this conversation with my fiance. I did not unilaterally say, okay, I'm just going to like return this and take that money for myself because we're in this together now, mm-hmm. right? And I, I asked him, I was like, how would you feel if we return the ring and put the money toward the wedding and the honeymoon? And he loves to travel too, and that's one of the things we really love to splurge on. And he was like, yeah. You know, why not? We love to go out to eat. We love to spend time with family. We love to travel. Those are our values. And so if we could kind of buck 
some some kind of conventional wisdom that doesn't actually align with our values and just try to realign with what matters to us, then that's what really matters. And that's why I don't say you shouldn't have an, you shouldn't have an engagement ring. No, you should have an engagement ring if it matters to you. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't, if you feel like, you know, could I do something else? Could we do something else with this money? Whether it's having the wedding, whether it's traveling, whether it's putting a down payment on a house, whether it's supporting our existing family or starting a new family, maybe that's more important to us. So kind of taking a moment to assess what those values are and what are our priorities, because, you know, at this time in our life, we have a lot of big priorities. And the fact is, we only have so much money. And so if money is the limited resource and options are abundant, Mm. then we really need to think a little bit more strategically. And I didn't want to do something just because it's what we were quote unquote supposed to do. Now, I like that a lot because you're not willing to, you know, just accept anything that life gives you or throws at you. You're willing to take that and kind of utilize it to your to your leverage, to your advantage and utilize it to to a point where it benefits you in the long run. And I think, um, you know, if we take that outlook and, and apply that to our everyday lives, and um, this goes for materialistic things or, you know, things that we fancy um, will definitely be in better financial situations. So I definitely like that. And I think another thing that you're doing is setting the financial trend for your actual marriage. Because I think oftentimes we mm-hmm. put a lot of time, money and energy on the engagement and the wedding. Mm-hmm. And we're not looking at hopefully the lifelong relationship that you're establishing. So coming into it in this space it's really beautiful. And I might, apl- I'm going to apply that to my life too. <laughs> it was really, you know, I'm kind of a, a, a nerd about some of this stuff, but it really, you're right. It was beautiful because in, in those couple of days afterwards, um, you know, my fiance suddenly had this big credit on his credit card and he's like, what am I going to do with this? And I was like, okay, well, let's make a list of all of our goals for the next five years. And I put it on a whiteboard and I was like, okay, so which of these things do you really want to achieve in the next year and then the year after and then the year after that and then from there it was much easier to kind of create a strategy as a team and as you said as part of a marriage because now that we're engaged you know this is a shared future and so making those decisions together was really um both empowering and it was really special. Like, I just felt so much more in love. You know, I always mm-hmm. say, yeah, I know he's the one because he, when I said, I think I might, we might want to return the ring. He's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think what, what you said a second ago was really, really important. The way that you've managed your money and the way that you've managed your engagement up to this point, you've been flexible. You've been fluid. And it's important for each of us to define success relationships in our own terms, not necessarily what we saw on TV or the ads or anywhere else. And I think that's the the most beautiful part about it. I think you wrote a, a piece for Success Magazine a while back about how different couples manage their money. Um, I think to you told bit. me about it. I think you are featured in that I, column. Perhaps I was. Yes. <laughs> so tell us a little more about that. Yeah. So I... I believe that there is no one right way to manage money for couples. Um, I know some people think, you know, 
are, they, they're evangelists about everything must be together, everything must be combined. And other people are like, oh, I know I don't want to combine finances at all. You should never combine finances. And I think personal finance is personal. I'm sure you've all heard that before. But even more so when there's two people involved, right? Because now you're taking your personal with someone else's personal and creating something brand new. And so I think what you need to do is have that flexibility you're talking about, not just in learning to uh, figure out a system that works for you and your partner and you and your partner alone, but also a system that works for you and your partner today and know that that might change next year and the year after because even like we were talking about with gifts that change for changes from year to year and how much we need to save for the holidays which is seemingly trivial in context of you know talking about how we manage money as a couple for the rest of our lives that still changes from year to year and so we need to constantly have this dialogue be open and be flexible and be changing to adapt to those shifting values and circumstances and priorities. Yeah, I, th- I think the shifting priorities and circumstances are very, very important. I, I moved to New York in 2014. We were dating. Things were fine, except I was broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, we managed it a certain way back then. Mm-hmm. Then we got married and we managed it differently. Then she made more. Mm-hmm. So we had to manage things differently there. Then we had a kid. Whole different situations like daycare, which is super expensive. Yeah, yeah. But we had to figure out how do we make it work and how do we make it work for every season that we're in. So that's, you don't have to, you do need to have a plan. You do have to figure it out, but it doesn't have to be stagnant. If it doesn't work, take a, take a step back, look at it, and we work it. It's not a, not a failure if you have to rework a plan. And again, I've written books, I've been an advisor, and we have had to rework our plan several times because there's always going to be something out there that's going to throw you off. That's okay. Expect it, roll with it, adjust, and keep moving. I love that. Yeah, I noticed that, um, you know, even sharing my ring story, so many people popped out of the woodwork to tell me about their stories. And it's funny because they said, oh, I felt shame about it before. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt embarrassed that uh, people thought I returned the ring because, like, we couldn't afford it. Or people thought it was because we were struggling or... Mm -hmm. Even if that was the case, like, great. That's great because you decided to take ownership of your finances and your financial choices and decide not to have a ring. So you, when you do have more money, you can put it towards things that maybe are going to have a more meaningful impact on your life now. And then you can always upgrade that ring when you're more able. Yeah. But I love that everyone kind of started sharing these stories with me. And, and, and that's kind of the reason I started sharing my story more on social media. And I actually recently had a series come out I made on YouTube um, about this this ring specific question, you know, what are your thoughts on having an engagement ring? Um, but this is just the first episode of a series where we're kind of talking about this personal side of personal finance and things like managing money in a relationship and things like how do you adjust uh, your budget based on your shifting values and circumstances. And it's great to have that diversity of perspectives and so to know that like you do not have to do it one way. Mm-hmm. And if you're not following whoever financial guru, you know, I could name a few, but maybe I won't plan. It doesn't make mean you're not going to be able to be financially successful. You got to do right. on your terms. Yeah. 
Definitely. So where can they find that YouTube series? Yeah. So I'm on YouTube at Stephanie O'Connell. So YouTube.com slash Stephanie O'Connell. I spell Stephanie with an F, not a PH. So that's how you'll find it. Or on Instagram at Stephanie O'Connell. Great. Good stuff. If you were just tuning in, this is the Ash Cash Show on WHCR 90.3 FM, New York, the voice of Harlem. Ash is out, but Kevin is here to save the day. We are speaking with our special guest, Stephanie O'Connell, about life, love, and money. Um, super excited to have you here. So grateful um, for you to just stop by and share all of the information that you've been given, um, that you have shared with us. Uh what are some quick tips that you could give um, as far as not only the holiday season, but in general, going back to that, that Stephanie that was, you know, trying to figure it out. What are some of the things that kept you afloat mentally as well as financially in addition to control and habits and all that good stuff? Yeah. So the first thing I did that really helped me gain a sense of control was track my money. And that might be a a tip you've heard before and you've thought, oh, well, just writing down what I'm earning and writing down what I'm spending, that doesn't seem really life changing. It completely changed my life. Like the sense of control that you feel when you have a daily money practice, it makes you so much more aware of your money. Money and also your control, your choice, your agency over it. And so that's why I always say start with that quick win. Start with that simple step of just writing it all down. And then from there, it's really about getting specific with what you want. So along with the holiday season, it's going to be the new year, right? So we're going to be setting a lot of those goals and thinking about what we want to achieve both personally and financially. And like we said, money touches everything. So those two things are really going to be connected. So what I would encourage everyone to do is instead of setting a goal, like I just want to save more money next year, get really specific about how much you want to save and why you want to save. Because saying, I want to save $1,000 so I can take my family somewhere by the end of next year is very different from just saying, oh, I want to save more money. Because once you have a number, you can break it down by the number of months and the number of weeks and the number of days you have to save for it. So, you know, $1,000 divided by 365 is only a couple couple dollars a day that you would need to save for that goal. Um, and then once you have the why, well, there's something much more meaningful than just more money at the end of that journey. There's that time and that memory you're going to create with your family. So I say, you know, make sure you're not only specific with that goal, but make it visual. So maybe you print out a picture of where you want to take your family. Mm -hmm. Maybe you print out a picture of your family or or have it as a background on your phone. And then anytime you go to spend money, you have that picture there either on your phone or wrapped around your cash and your credit cards in your wallet Mm -hmm. so that in the moment, you're reminded of that goal and you can say is this a trade-off I'm willing to make and sometimes it might be Mm -hmm. sometimes it might be you know what I do want to have a margarita tonight and that's worth it but sometimes it might not be and if you have that reminder of what you're saving for in front of you it will help you make those decisions a lot more clearly and again bring you bringing you back to that sense of feeling like you have control over your decision making 
Yeah, and I think that goes back to the point we had mentioned earlier about saving for long-term things because it's difficult to save for a year or three or four like years in advance. But have, making a specific plan, visualizing it is extremely important, and then writing it down. It, this is probably going to be my phrase, but studies have shown. <laughs> I read a lot. I'm a nerd, too. So a lot of the stuff I read is factual and has a bunch of percents. But... Writing stuff down, including your calories, if you're trying to lose weight, that also helps you to lose weight because you're thinking about what you actually did and then deciding, like, ah, I probably shouldn't have eaten that today. Um, so that actually does help on both health and finance. But again, I plan, like, right now, I'm probably halfway through planning for 2020 because I'm just that I thought far. you were going to say 2019. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty impressed right now. <laughs> I just, but it's just 2020, I'm, not, I'm like, okay, the bulls didn't even drop yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you have to just plan in advance. And now the thing is, my 2020 plan is nowhere near as detailed as 2019. I can only predict or plan, but so much. Mm-hmm. So I have like bullet points for 2020. 2019 is like paragraphs. So it's <laughs> a little different. But that's that's what helps you to stick to a goal and stick to a plan because you know what it is. You've planned it out. You've written it down. So I can really commit more to it versus just saying like, I just want to save my money and just kind of check it off the box. Definitely. And in Ash Cash fashion, writing it down is pulling it from the invisible and yes. making it a reality Absolutely. in the in the natural. Right. Um, and that's really, really important for you to be able to see. Like, that's the first step in making it real. Yeah. Is actually being able to see it with your natural eyes. Yeah. And I think people kind of take that, you know, overlook that and, and really don't put as much weight on it. Um as it should have. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the visualization piece of taking a picture and putting your wallet or making it the background of your phone or even making it a password for your important stuff. You can say, I'm going to save whatever and make that a password. Hmm. It's also very safe. Um, just don't tell anyone what you're saving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't, don't tell anyone what exactly what you're saving for. <laughs> However, it's called the windshield effect. And hmm. they studied this 2009, maybe 2010, that when you start to visualize things, you put it in front of you like a windshield every day, you tend to commit more to it, you tend to do more. It also happens with athletes. For example, Tiger Woods, Serena Williams, Michelle Wee, I believe, in golf. Once people started to see people who looked like them doing those sports, you saw a wave of people Mm. come behind them. Because once you can see it and you're watching Mm. it and you're looking at highlights every day, you say, oh, I can do that too. So if I'm looking at pictures of the Bahamas or a bank account that's not mine that I want to be mine, if I'm looking at it every day, I tend to start making moves to work in that fashion. That's why vision boards work for so many people because it's the exact same psychological windshield effect. So now I'm looking at millions of dollars. <laughs> I need to go find a few accounts to just kind of stare at you all day. You got to get specific. Is it a million in 20s? <laughs> right. A million ones? Really? You're you holding to... me accountable already, <laughs> Mr. 2020. <laughs> so, Stephanie, where can everybody um, reach you and stay in contact with you and keep um, updated with everything that you're doing? Yeah, well, I'm on the internet, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know that little place. Yes. Um, just at stephanieoconnell.com. All of my social handles, everything. YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. It's all at Stephanie O'Connell. And I'm trying to have a lot of the conversations you're having here. And I really love that we have this wonderful community of people and this wonderful array of voices here in New York City, but also beyond that we can connect with because it's so important to talk about these things with each other, with the community and with the people in our lives. So I hope that we can continue to do that online and in person. Of course. Mr. D. West. 
I didn't even get an intro today. You did. You, you know what, D West? We're gonna have a lot of conversations off air. Like, but it's all right. Yes. You can find me on Facebook at Dennis West. Instagram D dot W E S T one five one. We here. And Mr. Kevin Matthews. First of all, how was this experience? This, so far. This was an incredible experience. <laughs> I, I like radio. Um, this is good. I like the just the conversations, especially like when you're in studio to really pull back the layers of what's going on in other people's lives and how we can in, improve it and help others. Of course. And where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, the Internet, <laughs> <laughs> at Building Bread. So everywhere I'm at Building Bread. Awesome, awesome. And I hope, you know, I heard that, you know, Ash Cash was actually listening in. So I hope we did the show with your name on it some justice. Uh, We definitely miss you. And we're honored to just, you know, kind of sit in this space and um, continue to do what you have been doing um, over 10 years. Truly, truly grateful. You can find him um, on, I'm just going to give the website because he tends to go like through this whole thing and I'm not even going to try to do that again. But find him on all social media platforms at I am Ash Cash. And of course, his website, I am Ashcash.com and um, the show's website, the Ash Cash show.com I am Mr. Shima Jones once again this is the Ashcast show on WHCR 90.3 FM New York the voice of Harlem every Friday at 7 p.m. thank you guys so much for rocking with us over these years and especially through this show Um, and we look forward to just continuing um, to I guess just spread the love when it comes to money right all right once again the Ashcast show WHCR 90.3 FM New York the voice of Harlem you are now tuned in to the Ashcast show your number one source for financial motivation get your mind and your money right